Last time, we saw the odds of just eight of the Bible prophecies about Jesus coming true, and it was astounding, especially when you consider that there were really over a hundred. And today, we'll look at more proof that the Bible is true, and a lot more. Here's Pastor David. There are also the miracles that happened in the Bible that were attested to by hundreds of eyewitnesses, hundreds. We have to understand that our faith, our faith as followers of Christ, is not simply in random people who wrote some stuff down in these books that we now call the Bible. That's not what it's in. It's in the historically, factually, actually risen Christ, the risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ's resurrection from the dead was witnessed by over 500 people, many of whom were alive to attest to that fact when the Gospels in the Bible were written, that you could have gone and asked them, did you see this? And they could have said, no, I didn't see that, or yes, I did. These were factual things. The New Testament Gospels are about facts, historical, eyewitness historical facts. This is what it says in Luke 1, 1 through 4. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had, a perfect under, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things which you were instructed. Second Peter 1.16 for we did not cunningly devise, follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. The writers of the word considered the Bible to be inspired by God. The writers considered it. But not only them. You know who else considered it to be inspired by God? Jesus Christ considered it to be inspired by God. The one who rose from the dead, according to the scriptures and all his eyewitnesses, and proved he was God, also believed the word of God was inspired. He believed it was true. He quoted it. He attested that the Old Testament scripture was all about him. This is what he says in John 5, 39. He says, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me, of me. The scriptures are about Jesus. The Bible is the word of God. The Bible is reliable. Now, clearly, God is powerful enough to use those people willing to be obedient to him to write the words that he wanted them to write. Clearly, he's powerful enough to do that. And those words would be God breathed. God breathed. Now, one more thing. As a lawyer, oh, I got more than one more thing in the sermon. Don't start getting that excited. One more thing about that. As a lawyer, it's hard for me to ignore what we attorneys would call another clear indicator of veracity, which is we talk that way so we can get paid more. But the truth is, all that means, it's a fancy way of saying that there's another way of knowing that the writers were telling the truth. There's another way of knowing. Now, you've all probably seen a court case on TV, right? And one of the lawyers will stand up during the case and yell, Objection, Your Honor! And the judge will say, Sustained or overruled or, or whatever, right? Now, we object because what we're trying to do 
is we believe that the piece of testimony that's about to be offered or that's been offered violates the rules of evidence, the kinds of things that are allowed to be said in court. That's why we object. Now, one of the rules of evidence is that hearsay is not allowed in court. Excuse me, in court. My goodness. Hearsay is when you testify that someone else said something, right? Not, not that day, not in court, but somewhere outside of court, somewhere someone else said something. So imagine this. You know, a person comes up, you know, the lawyer comes up, hey, what, uh, Mr. Robinson, what did the gentleman say on that day? And I say, I definitely heard him say he had no regerts, right? <laughs> the other lawyer is going to say, objection, hearsay. Because I said something that the person said outside of court, somewhere else, it's called hearsay. Now, one of the reasons that, that hearsay is not allowed in court is because the person who supposedly said the thing is not necessarily there to testify about whether they said that or not, right? And so the truthfulness of what the person said is not very certain. But there are exceptions to the hearsay rule. And the reason there are some exceptions is because there are some things that make the statement, the hearsay statement, so likely to be true that it's allowed in even though it's hearsay, okay? One of those exceptions is called a statement against interest. A statement against interest. Now, Rule 804B3A, statement against interest, is a statement that a reasonable person in the declarant's position would have made only if the person believed it to be true. Because when made, it was so contrary to the declarant's interest. Let me simplify that. Basically, if you say things that make you look bad, we assume that they're true because people don't like to say things that make them look bad. Right? If you say something against your interest, we generally think that that in, in the court, we found that we think that when people say things like that, they're much more likely to be true. Now, did the writers of Scripture make statements against their interest? Yeah, they did. How about when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane? He's like, listen, I'm, I'm sorrowful unto death here. These are his best, best friends. He's up, I'm sorrowful unto death. I got to go over here and pray. Will you just stay awake with me? Just for a minute while I go pray, Jesus goes over to pray. He comes back, and they're napping. And he's like, get up. Can you not stay up with me for one hour? I'm like, good, good, go ahead. Goes over and prays again, comes back, and they're asleep again. And again, three times. That's a statement against interest. Why would you want to admit that you couldn't stay up for an hour when Jesus was going through the most difficult part of his ministry, right before he was about to be crucified? How about the fact that Peter denied Jesus three times, once to a little girl, because he was free, because he was scaredy. How about the fact that James and John had their mommy come to Jesus and ask him if they could sit at his right and left hand? Mommy, will you go ask Jesus for us? That's embarrassing. And then the other disciples, when this happened, get all upset and, and bent out of shape, showing that they would have arguments with each other as opposed to being this like perfect 12 people following Jesus and like always happy and perfect and whatever. No, they were a mess. They were a wreck and they admitted that. They admitted that. How about Noah getting drunk and naked? <laughs> right? How about King David, the great king of Israel, Committing murder and adultery. How about the Israelites, the Hebrews in the land, committing all kinds of sins, walking away from God, and being defeated by their enemies and exiled? Why admit that? Why put that part in? Don't put that part in. 
Put the part in where we won the war. Don't put the part in where we lost. No, they put it all in. How about Saul, who became Paul, consenting to the death of Stephen, the martyr, persecuting the church, calling himself the chief of sinners? Why admit this stuff? I'll give you a good, a good reason. Because it happened. They admit it because it happened and they cared more about it being obedient to the inspiration of God and telling the truth than being embarrassed. That's why it's in there. That's why it's in there. And here's the thing. It's beyond just that. These guys went to often horrible deaths for these truths. John, the the disciple, actually made it. But he was boiled in oil. I don't know if you've ever been boiled in oil, but I think it's pretty uncomfortable. They expected him to die. He, he didn't. That's the story anyway. They died these deaths refusing to recant what they believed and what they had written. They would not come back and say it didn't happen. Now, listen, you did not die horribly painful deaths for things that you know to be false. When I was a kid and it looked like the paddle was coming out, Pops is getting that thing out, you know, getting, doing that whole thing that he used to do, <laughs> stretching out. And, uh, trust and believe. I was paying attention. I did not want the spankings. I would not have taken spankings for a lie. I mean, if I lied, I might have gotten a spanking. I would not protect a lie, something I knew not to be true, and take a spanking for it. Not even a spanking, let alone crucifying me, boiling me in oil, sawing me in half, or the kinds of things that the disciples faced. If I knew something to be a lie, when they start heating the oil up, I'm like, just kidding, JK. (laughs) Right? You're like, no, I'm not going to go in the oil for this. If it's not true. But it was true. It is true. That's why we believe the word. That's why we follow the word. That's why we live the word. The Bible is intricate and complex and beautiful. And it's our job to study it and to understand it and to apply it faithfully and obediently. Regardless of our own desires, Regardless of our own little pet interpretations that we'd like so we can make everybody happy, we have to take the Bible as what it is, as our authority for faith and practice, and we have to follow it faithfully because it is the very word of God. And we've said it before, and Lord willing, we'll say it again, it takes faith to believe in God. It takes faith to believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. It also takes faith to not believe in God. It also takes faith to believe that the Bible is just a bunch of stories written by people randomly that happen to foretell the future all the time, that people were willing to die for, and all the rest of this. All of these things take faith. You have to have faith to please God. In Hebrews eleven six, it says this, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Pleasing God takes faith. But providentially for you, five verses earlier, faith is defined, and this is written. Now, faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What is faith? The substance of the things you're hoping for, the evidence 
evidence of the things not seen. Now, why is the word faith and the word evidence being used together? Because if you watch uh, the, a lot of the atheists who talk these days, they act like those things are completely different. There's those of us who believe in evidence, and there's those people over there who believe in faith. Nonsense. Evidence of the things not seen. What is the evidence of the things that aren't seen? The things that are seen. The things that are seen. In every case, everything that you believe, there's a step of faith. And the evidence of things that are not seen is the things that are seen. If I see a tree, I know the roots are there. Can I see the roots? No, I can't see the roots. But I know the tree would fall down without them. Evidence of the things that aren't seen is a thing that is seen. Now, in Scripture, I did not see God inspire the writers of Scripture. I wasn't watching that happen. But what have I seen? What have I seen? I've seen the internal beauty and consistency of the Bible written by dozens of authors, completely different people, over 1,500 years, 66 books, uniformity of thought, consistency, harmony in that book. I have seen the prophecies, impossible mathematically, to have come to fruition unless God had been involved in the Bible, unless he had inspired the Bible. I've seen the eyewitnesses who made all kinds of statements against their own interests and were willing to die for what was in the scriptures. What have I seen? All of that. Now, what's that? That's evidence for things I can't see that God inspired the Bible. Right? There is a reason why so many thoughtful and intelligent people some of the most intelligent and thoughtful people on this planet for thousands of years have believed that the Bible was in the inspired word of God because that is the most reasonable thing to believe about the Bible. Period. Period. And our God who inspired the writers of the Bible all those years ago is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's faithful. He's faithful. And you can believe it and you can trust it from the things that you can see. You can believe the things that you can't see. There's an old song that says, great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's consistent. That's why the Bible's consistent. That's why it's harmonious. Yeah. It is from the truth of Scripture that we have our hope in an unchanging God who is able to save. There is so much hope in the Bible. We want you to have that. We want you to live in that hope. So many people, just like David Suchet, are out there and they're saying, what's real? I need direction. I need a path. There's something bigger than me. I know that, but I don't know what it is. And here comes scripture saying, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. You want a light to your path? Do what Poirot did, the great detective. Find the scripture. Find the Bible. 
There's so much beauty in the Old Testament and the New Testament. I could not stand under the condemnation of my behavior and my sin unless I had Scripture to hold on to and to know that I could be saved and to know that I could be forgiven and washed clean. I couldn't stand under it. The Word of God sets me free. Now, when it comes to the Bible, some people hate it. Some people love it. And some people just don't care. Let me start by saying, don't be one of those third people. Don't be a just don't care because there's something going on here. Hate it or love it, but love it, okay? But fight with it. Wrestle with it. Is it true? Discover what's there. Think through it. Don't just say, I don't care. My eternity doesn't matter. Whether love and, and justice and peace and God are real don't matter. All I care is about what I'm going to watch on Netflix tonight or what I'm going to put on Facebook or what I'm going to eat or what I'm going to drink. Satan wants you to be that person, just kind of going through the thing, right? This is life. No. Love it or hate it. Do whatever you want, but struggle with it and wrestle with it because it will change you. It will change you. You gotta, you gotta kind of fight with the Bible sometimes. You kind of gotta let it, let it work, but you gotta let it inspire you. You gotta let it feed you. You gotta desire it. Let it be sweet and beautiful and life-giving. David talks about the law, and he's like, mmm, mmm, baby, that's good. It was like honey. On my lips, I desire it. Day and night, I want to come. I just want to get up in the morning and I want to look in here and I just want to be connected to you and close to you and to know your law and to see how beautiful it is and what you've made and how it works together. And it just inspires my soul. Meditate on the truth. Run to it. Run to it as you would run to your good father, the only truly good father. And fall in his arms through his word. Let it pour over you like health for your soul. Find rest in Scripture. Find hope in the Bible, in God, in the Father, in the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let Jesus into your life through his word. You need to believe and be healed from all the things that bring you down from all the things that seem to hold you in place and not let you go, from all the fear that keeps you from moving forward and the shame and the pain. Have you ever been hurt? You, you may be emotionally hurt. You know, you may, something horrible may have happened. You may be young, you may be old. You may have just skinned your knee and you're hurt and you feel alone and you feel afraid and you run to the arms of your father or your mother or your spouse or a friend or whoever it is. And, and in that embrace, there's comfort and there's peace. And it's, I know that this person loves me. I know that it's going to be okay. If you ever experienced that, you can experience that times, I don't know, whatever that number was earlier here. If you have never experienced that, my heart breaks for you, but I have good news. You can experience running into the arms of God right here in this book, in the scripture. You can know what that feeling is like to be comforted and loved by the Lord. And the nice thing about the scripture is as you memorize this, you take it into your heart. It's like that for you all the time. And when you go through those things, man, those verses, they're coming back to you. And they're washing over your soul with truth.
the word of God is alive. It's alive. Listen, Hebrews 4, 12 says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. In Christ, you can experience that joy and comfort and the glory of the best relationship. The best relationship. The one that you were literally designed for. It's that relationship with God. And man, does that get deep in the scripture. Now listen, if you're missing that relationship in your life, if you're missing that path, if you've not yet believed on Jesus Christ for salvation, for healing, let me just tell you something to start it out. He loves you. There's a reason why you're hearing this or there's a reason why you're here today. He loves you. And he wants you to have that experience. He wants to change and transform you. He wants you to let the living waters surge over you and clean you and create in you a new heart, a clean heart, a new alive spirit. Listen to this. This is kind of both sides of it. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. It says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. I would say all of us. But you were washed. You were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Listen, and such was me. All of that and more. The worst the worst in the second half of this passage is what gives me hope and the ability to keep moving. It gives me hope in the future from, from, uh, from knowing all that I had to look forward to was condemnation and death to knowing that I have life and more abundantly and, and in this life. And that when I die, or if the Lord comes back and gets me, I can't even imagine because I has not seen nor ears heard nor has it even entered into the hearts of any of us how amazing the things are that God has prepared for us. Even though I was all these things. I was all these things. I had no business inheriting the kingdom of God but for Jesus Christ. And where did I find that? I found it in the word of God. Look, be justified. Be sanctified, be washed, be clean, be new, have a purpose, know your value. Know God, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. If you've never done that, I'm going to ask that a couple of the elders, deacons come up and just kind of stand right over there. And when we have communion, if you just want to make your way over this way and just say, hey, look, I just, I just want Jesus. I believe it. I just want Jesus. I just want, I, just, I can see that this is the path. They will help you through that process and help you to walk into that relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're already, if you're already a believer, man, don't forget about this thing. It gets dusty. I know. I know. I've gone through those times where it can kind of get a little dusty and it's kind of sitting over there and I kind of been busy. Oh, what are we keeping ourselves from? Life, truth. Mm, eat it. Let, it. let it fill you. The word is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. It is how God is revealing himself to you in your life. Do not neglect it. Let's pray. The Bible is true, 
And if you're a Christian, I hope you won't let a single day go by without feasting on the Word of God and letting it set the pace for everything in your life. And if today's message has helped you understand that you need Jesus, don't wait another minute. Right now, wherever you are or whatever you're doing, simply tell Jesus that you believe He's the Son of God, ask Him to forgive your sins and be the Lord of your life, and He will. And then let us know, won't you? Call us at 360-885-9000. And come see us at Axe Church and let us help get you started in your new life in Christ. All the info you need is at axechurchnw.org. Hope to meet you this Sunday. And I hope you'll be right here next time for more with Pastor David Robinson here on Contemplate.